Vikings lead the Lions by seven. From the 20-yard line, Adrian Peterson. Peterson cuts to the outside. He's across midfield. And he's going to take it all the way. 80 yards for a Vikings touchdown. What is up, Football Nation? We're back after a one-week summer hiatus to enjoy the country's independence, 4th of July. It is today, July 10th, 2012, episode 14 of the Football Nation presents the Sportscasters podcast, and we're a little nervous today because the boss is going to be around. Kerry <laughs> uh, J. Byrne of yep. Tire Football Facts is going to be our guest today to talk, talk about the off-season from a Cold Hired Football Facts perspective. Uh, we've done fantasy podcasts the last couple of weeks, and that doesn't mean we're done with fantasy football on the show. Or we'll get back to it, I'm sure. And we want to thank Jay Clemens and Michael Fabiano for chatting fantasy football with us the last couple of weeks of uh, June. Uh, Don, we're about, I don't know, two weeks away from this getting really serious in the sense that training camp is going to yeah. be open. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that because... It feels really slow right now. Yeah, this has been kind of a practice for us, I feel like, to some extent, where there's a lot of times where we don't have a lot of stories to talk about. So it'll be nice to get the real thing going and uh, have a season to work with. But uh, today, what we're going to do is we're going to do three things like we always do. We're going to interview Carrie, and then we're going to close off with uh, an article from Football Nation. There's really not much to do other than get started. So uh, let's, let's do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. I got two quotes here, uh, both from Twitter. First... A lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. The second being, thank you for waiting for the facts. Truth will surface. Both of those, uh, you've probably already seen it come from Adrian Peterson, AD, Purple Jesus. Uh, And look, a lot of players have said things along the lines of, I'm going to wait for the truth to come out, wait for all the facts, don't judge me. I'm not sure, though, you typically want it to be right or maybe suspect that it's right. A lot of times maybe the players don't have the reputation for being responsible or the best citizens. But in this case, he's really never been in trouble before. And there's kind of a lot of question marks surrounding this one. Don and I are sharing this as our first thing as we've done a few times. And my opinion is going to be biased. I've been a fan of Adrian Peterson since he was literally 17 years old. I started following his career He was a senior in high school in Palestine, Texas, uh, and Oklahoma was recruiting him. I used to watch videos of him running through his high school games on YouTube when it kind of was first starting. I seen every single game he ever played in an Oklahoma Sooners uniform. And I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, When I stood up in Don's wedding, Don bought me an autographed OU helmet, which I proudly display in my living room (laughs) from Adrian. And, uh, when I heard this, I just thought, this is just not the Adrian Peterson I know. This kid doesn't get in trouble like this. No. 
It's a guy who towed the line at OU, never caused a single problem. He was there when Rhett Bomar and another guy in OU were dismissed from the team for taking illegal money from a car dealership. And he was, everyone wanted to get him when he was at OU, you know, and he, there was never anything to get him on. Yeah, and I'm not nearly the fan that you are, but as far as a player that's not on my team, uh, he's a guy that, like I would say, like Larry Fitzgerald, they're just guys that I like. Uh, they're easy to root for. And, again, it sounds sketchy at best. Uh, he was charged on resisting arrest. Basically, there was the police officer's story was that there was an off-duty cop. He was in a nightclub, and he was shutting it down, basically. Like, There's too many people there. He was asked Adrian's party to leave. After asking a couple other people to leave, he came back. Peterson's party was still there, and he said something, and he alleges that Peterson pushed him, and they scuffled, and it took like three officers to to calm him down, basically. Peterson was left with a, a black eye after this. He was charged with resisting arrest, and to me, the most interesting quote comes from uh, Adrian's father, who is a, a has criminal past. Right. Sketchball. Yeah. He says... If Adrian did really did push the officer first, why is resisting arrest the only charge? Why isn't there a charge of assault or anything like that? Um, got, I got some quotes from his lawyer, Rusty uh, Harden, the guy that just got off Roger Clemens. Right. So he went he went big with his lawyer. He says Adrian Peterson did not res- resist arrest this past Saturday morning, and any suggestion that he pushed, struck, or shoved the Houston police officer is a total fabrication. He, in fact, was struck at least twice in the face for absolutely no legitimate reason. When all the evidence is impartially reviewed, it'll clearly show Adrian was the victim, not the aggressor. I, I just Everything I know about Adrian Peterson just makes yeah, me not believe it. It's one that you want to believe is uh, that he's telling the truth. I promise. I promise that I will come on this show and I will kill Adrian Peterson if, Ver- it, if he did the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll call him out. Right, right. You know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll express my disappointment in him. I'll say he is in the wrong and that he needs to be punished under the the player's conduct policy by Commissioner Goodell. There's just no history. Of I this just don't and... buy it. I just don't believe it. And I think that I think it's going to come out that he's he's okay. Yeah, so. I I agree. Like I said, he's got no history. He's always been nothing but a model citizen and a, there is a, a role bunch, model. There's so. a bunch of. Uh, Another quote from his lawyer, he says there's going to be non-police witnesses that are going to be very credible, that are going to say that he never pushed, shoved, or touched a police officer. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully uh, for Adrian and Minnesota fans that this just gets pushed away. My second thing this week, Eric Legrand. We've talked a little bit about him. Uh, Tampa Bay did the right thing, put his jerseys on sale, and all the money is going to go to his charity, which I think helps him pay for medical bills and that type of thing. Well, apparently he's also going to star in Subway commercials with Justin Tuck. So, good. I mean, this kid, uh, from all accounts, seems like a a nice kid, a stand-up citizen, a a hard worker that's trying nothing more than to learn to walk again. And he's filmed these commercials already, and it's nice that he's got a way to make a paycheck a little bit here. Yeah, it's uh, great for Eric and uh, one of the guys at Football Nation is from New Jersey and knows Eric a little bit, says he's as good of a kid as he's kind of portrayed. It's not necessarily, oh, this guy injured himself, so, so now, now everyone, we're going to make him a hero. Right, right. apparently he's a, a great guy, so 
Good. Uh, I'm glad to hear as well. Uh, my second thing, did you, one of the things that I think the NFL is criticized the most about, and deservedly so, is their blackout rule. Right. Um, it's crazy that a stadium that has 80,000 people needs to sell the sa- needs to sell out to capacity for the game to be shown in Buffalo when a city might have 50,000 tickets and only need to sell those 50,000. Well, the NFL has finally changed this rule. Did you hear about this, Don? I did, yes. What they're going to do is each team can now decide how many, what percentage of their stadium has to be up sold. to 85, though. Okay. So... Basically, the team can decide how many tickets they need to sell to avoid blackout, non-premium tickets, but you can't go lower than 85. What's disappointed me is two of the teams that I've heard are going to stick to 100 are Buffalo and San Diego, two of the teams that have had a history of having blackouts. Two teams that always rumored to be moved to L.A. Uh, I cannot believe that the Bills aren't going to take advantage of the fact. I heard there's a penalty, too, if you do keep it higher. Like, you have to pay extra to keep it higher. That could be incorrect, but... I I haven't heard that. I I mean, what I've understood of the rule is that it's now in the control of the teams. So Ralph Wilson can say, you know what, instead of 100%, let's take it down to the minimum of 85%. As long as we sell 85% of our tickets, non-premium tickets, the game will be on TV. can understand why Dallas might not do that. can understand why a team with Pittsburgh, who has easily sells out their games, why that you know we'll just keep it at 100% doesn't make a difference. If you're a team like Buffalo, who's in the middle of negotiating a lease with the county, right? why wouldn't you take the P- – isn't the – for the 15%, isn't the PR that you get out of this for making especially the effort the, especially worth Buffalo? It? I mean, this isn't a team that's in New York City. Now, I don't know if Buffalo is officially going to make it eighty-five percent. They shouldn't even have to ponder that or a hundred percent. But right. I, I've heard they're cons- that that's supposedly what's going to happen. I've heard the same for San Diego. They shouldn't have to ponder that. And I was reading an article today on Pro Football Talk, which is NBC's like an affiliate uh, NBC. Uh, that NFL attendance in stadiums has been declining since its peak in 2007. Yep. So, look, part of the problem is I think they just have such a good – I mean, they have – football's better on TV, cut, uh, plain and simple. Uh, hockey, some people say to ex- really experience it, you got to get people into the building to experience the speed and the, the skill. And the sound. Right. Yeah. Football, golf, uh, HD has made them way better. Baseball, probably. Plus – Red Zone Channel, right? Uh, you got fantasy people that don't want to necessarily watch their scores on their phones. So this is and definitely, you have a great contract with the with TV. So this is definitely, I think, the outside of like player safety and concussions, the biggest concern for the commissioner is how, as a league, they can increase the in stadium fan experience so that this doesn't turn into a big problem, and you have like half empty stadiums or something like that. Well, I I've heard some solutions about making sure there's Wi-Fi in all the stadiums. I've heard that they're going to show what the ref sees under the hood on the on I the jumbotron. That, yeah. So it's you can see that it's on their radar and that they're making changes. The question I have about the blackout policy is this: Have you ever or have you ever heard anyone mention that? I wasn't going to go to the game, but I'm going to now that it's blacked out. Never. So what does it do? You know what I've heard instead? I've heard people say, I'm going to watch it legally on the internet. Right. Because that's what people do now. Right. People find a link on Justin TV or something similar. Right. Watch it that way. And uh, 
the NFL certainly doesn't endorse that, but that's what, or they listen on the radio, or I knew someone who had his direct TV bill made out to Tampa Bay, so <laughs> he would get the Buffalo games, wow, yeah. but the Tampa Bay games would be blacked out if they were. Right. I mean, there's just so many ways to get around this rule. It's old. It's not. Sometimes rules or laws get outdated. The reason they were made 20 years ago made sense then. They don't anymore. This is one of those rules. The NFL's taken the first step to correcting it by allowing teams to go down 85%. And if the Bills and the Chargers aren't going to take advantage of that, I think they made a big mistake. Absolutely. Uh, my last thing this week, Arian Foster has gone vegan, oh. which it doesn't seem like it's big news, but if you read around the internet, man, there are people that... Uh, this is a lot of talk about this. People are talking about, is he still worth a first-round pick because of this in the, in the fantasy leagues? And now, I guess there is some actual merit to at least being concerned about this. And that is, uh, athletes that work out this hard, can he keep weight on and everything like that, just eating vegan? And supposedly, you need a lot of protein after an injury to okay. recuperate. So he would have to eat. He's he's just going to have to really be careful what he eats. So most people I know who like work out a lot love chicken. You know, like chicken is huge for them. That right or you know, fish? Yeah, the, the protein. Right. Yep. But okay, yeah, so, so I get that then. So it's it's kind of a silly story. I threw it in there, but uh, I guess if he does it right, it shouldn't affect him at all. But that's something to keep an eye on, I guess. But you would think that he'd have a nutritionist or something. It is his career, so. I think it'll work out. Yeah, he'll be fine. He's still my first pick, I suppose. All right, my third thing is a story we've been watching for a long time, and we're about le- we're less than ten days away from the July sixteenth deadline for teams to reach long term agreements with their franchise players. So obviously, the biggest one out there is the Saints and Drew Brees. They need to work out a long term contract. Brees got a victory in court the week we were off. Um, with an arbitrator ruling that if he signs a, a tender this year and the Saints franchise him again next year. He gets like a bump. Yeah, a 44% raise to $23.57 million. So it's basically to the point where there's absolutely no reason for the Saints and Breeze not to get a deal. But right now you see the last kind of posturing between the two sides. That's so, it though, right? I mean, that's yeah, the nail. That the, has to be. A story today that Breeze isn't likely to report to camp without a long-term deal. Uh, you know, but there's no reason not to be a long-term deal, and I think John Clayton all but guaranteed that it'll get done. Um, but there's no reason for it to get done until the last day, so that's probably when it'll get done. In the meantime, each team will try to draw every last bit of thing they yeah. can out of the other. But he's going to wind up making around twenty million dollars, and it's going to be the biggest contract ever to a quarterback. It should be right. Uh, right. Peyton Manning got nineteen point two million. And Drew Brees is asking for about 20.5. You can argue that Brees should make less than Manning, but don't forget how much Brees outperformed his last contract. Right. Where do you fall on this? I know you're a Saints fan. Are you Team Brees here or Team Saints? I'm Team Get It Done. Right. I mean, I'm Team. Are you a little bit pissed at the Saints at this point that they let it get this far? I don't. I don't know. I don't know enough about what is true and what's not. Right. In the sense of a lot comes out when you're negotiating. That's but he, just negotiation. This isn't someone like Philip Rivers, and I use that name because he's kind of a if star. I was if I was the owner, I would have gave him a blank check and told him to fill it out. Right. So I mean, I guess that's kind of what you know. You're it's going to be the biggest contract ever. He's arguably the best player in the league right now. I mean, who else can make that argument other than Aaron Rodgers and maybe Tom Brady or right. somebody? 
So it's going to be the biggest contract ever. Just just figure it out. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's time to see if it's going to get done. And are there we, any nerves yet as a Saints fan? That I get a little bit more nervous each day because I think of everything that's went wrong this off season and. I don't want them to go to camp the first day and not have Breeze there. And also, like, the Breeze, they're the first camp because playing in the Hall of Fame oh, game, right, right. you know. And I just want them to be there on time. They got all of their picks signed now. I mean, they didn't have a first or second round, so is not that difficult. But you just want everyone to be there. I mean, it's time for the team to start coming together after everything that could have ripped right, them apart right. this offseason. And for them to come together, Breeze needs to be there and Breeze needs to be happy. So, of course, as a Saints fan, I'm worried, but ultimately I am optimistic that things will get done. Yeah, I think so. It has to. All right, so that's three things for today. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Kerry J. Byrne, and then we'll be back after that for This Week in Football Nation. And then we're going to be one step closer to doing shows during the season. (laughs) I can't wait. All right, we'll be right back. Our guest today is from Quincy, Massachusetts. He is a graduate of Boston College. He has created the cold, the revolutionary cold hard football facts concept and is the nation's foremost authority on the gridiron lifestyle of beer, food, and football. He's making his first appearance on this podcast, the podcast he created. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Kerry J. Byrne. What's up, Kerry? Doing very well, Steve. How you doing, buddy? I like the, I like the BC fight song. Yeah, that always gets you pumped up. So we home like, of the 1941 Sugar Bowl champion Boston College Eagles. We're all quite proud. And the uh, 2012 NCAA Hockey National Champions, Well, right? they, do, they, they do have a quite a hockey program, that's for sure. I mean, two of the last three national titles, if my, if my cold hard hockey facts are correct. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So, been excited to have you on, and I guess... The thing I'm most curious about when it comes to coldhardfootballfacts.com is what do you have to do in the off season to be ready to do what you do in the regular season? Well, you know, a lot of it is just kind of going back, looking at our numbers, looking at uh, what stats work and, and, and developing those and creating new stats and looking at which ones don't and, and what we mean by stats that work and stats that don't. And I think what separates Cold Hard Football Facts from any other site is we track, Steve, and I, I'm pretty sure you know this, we track what we call the correlation to victory of all our different indicators and many other stats. And it's, it's really enlightening. We tell you how often teams win games when they win particular statistical battles. And that's really killer information. And on top of that, we track the predictive rate of victory, how often teams win games when they're better in a given stat. Uh, say, for example, you have a better passer rating you know, you want to know how teams are going to do in, in the upcoming game. And, and, and what we found through our predictive rate of victory chart is that some stats are really pretty good at, at predicting winners. If you, if you have a higher passer rating, you win 62.5% of NFL games. Think of that. Regardless of home, away, record, point spread, whatever, you win 62.5% of NFL games. Uh, and, you know, stuff like that is just, is just really compelling info. Our relativity index uh, which measures how, how well you do based on the average performance of your opponents. Teams that are better in this indicator win almost 70% of all NFL games, Steve. So, you know, what we offer, and a lot of this is a cold hard insider, specifically the predictive and correlative 
stats are cold hard insider. All our quality stats will be free this season, as they as they usually have been. Uh, but it's really it's really great information if you want to know what wins and loses football games. That's what we're all about at Cold Hard Football Facts: the stats that win and lose football games. So in the off season, we look back at last year, look at what was successful, look what we need to do uh, to be better in the year ahead. And this year, we'll be introducing some new stats and new indicators. And we'll be tracking, you know, how well those do it at predicting winners and losers too. Did I see a tweet that said that one of the indicators was up at eighty-five percent for uh, picking games? Well, real quarterback rating—it's correlation. The real quarterback rating is essentially the formula for passer rating. Okay, but we add in how you do running the football as well. You know, we want to see—you know—is Michael Vick better because he runs the ball so well? One of the great runners of all time, and we want to see how. A guy like that, how his running numbers impact his rating. So we combined rushing and passing stats and, and fumbles and sacks into a single indicator using the passer rating formula. And what we found is that passer rating, as, as it exists, is an incredible indicator, uh, correlates to victory about 75% of all, of all NFL games. If you're better in passer rating, you won, about, you won 78.5% of NFL games last year. But if you were better in real quarterback rating, Steve, if your quarterback just played more efficiently, running, passing, avoiding sacks, avoiding interceptions, avoiding fumbles, putting the ball in the end zone, you won 87.1% of NFL games of us here. You went 223 and 33 simply by your quarterback having the more efficient day, regardless of how many yards totally rushed for or, or how many yards he passed for, just more efficient play quarterback, 87.1% uh, winning percentage. And what's really cool about that last year, Steve, is um, – Look at Tim Tebow. And we all know he can't pass the ball very well, right? He's not a very accurate passer. But when you combine his rushing numbers, uh, all the yards he piled up running the football, and the fact that through most of the year, it changed a bit at the end, but through most of the year he really fumbled, he was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in football week in and week out. Week after week, he was a better quarterback on the field uh, based on all aspects of quarter- quarterback play. Passer rating is just passing, nothing else. Real quarterback rating is all aspects of quarterback in play. And actually, I did a big story, you know, talked about it a lot in Cold Hard, and we wrote about it on Sports Illustrated, saying there's an easy way to explain why the Broncos are winning. Tim Tebow's the best quarterback on the field week after week. People didn't want to hear it. People only wanted to look at his passing numbers and judge him by the passing numbers. But the fact of the matter is, by accepting the game, you know, in almost all their wins, he was the best quarterback on the field. And during that seven-game win streak, he was dominating uh, dominating the other quarterback on the field week, week after week. So based on that study and those numbers, should I then assume that you don't expect the Broncos to take as big of a leap as some people do by adding Peyton Manning? Not at all, yeah. We're kind of, uh, and I know that the, we have a history of, of not believing that Peyton Manning's the greatest quarterback ever, so <laughs> Colts fans get mad at us about that and and, uh, and things like that. But the, re- the reality is... Uh, I don't know, you know, he's been on the downward trajectory in his career, Peyton Manning has. He's, you know, his passer rating has declined almost every year since 2004. Granted, 2004, he had the highest rating ever. You're never going to keep that up. You expect declines, but it's, it's steadily, his efficiency has steadily declined year after year. He's coming off an injury, of course. Even, you know, any quarterback at his age is in the back nine of their career. That's just fact. That's just the way it is. Uh, it doesn't mean he doesn't have a great season or two left in him, but, you know, he, he's an older quarterback. That's just the reality, and it's a young man's game. Uh, and the other issue being, uh, Denver had a really bad defense last year. There's some, there's some mythology out there that they were a great defense and that the defense carried that team. The defense was atrocious. They gave up 390 points last year, 24th in the NFL. They, were, they had a couple good games in the middle of the season, but they gave up 
you know, games, I'm looking at this, good enough, 49 points, 29 points, 45 points, 32 points, 41 points, 40 points, 45 points. This is a defense that really couldn't stop anybody, and it's almost a miracle they went 8-8. Eight and eight. In fact, they had the third-worst defensive passer rating of any playoff team in NFL history, hmm. the third-worst pass defense ever to reach the playoffs. It is, it, it's kind of, uh, they lived a charmed life there when Tebow was that quarterback, pulling plays out, and you got to say they got a little lucky, uh, but I, you know, unless that defense improves dramatically, I don't, I don't see, I don't see the Broncos being, uh, you know, much better than eight and eight this year. Keep in mind, the Broncos last year were worse defensively than all but one of Peyton Manning's defenses in Indianapolis during his entire career in defense. During his entire year in Indianapolis, only one defense was worse than the one Tim Tebow played with last year in Denver. And everyone says, you know, Manning struggles with because of defense. You know, when when they did struggle, when they couldn't win the big game, it's because the defense let them down. Well. You know, this defense in Denver is no better than, uh, you know, definitely not better than any of the defenses he played with in, in Indianapolis. That's really interesting. Now, let's take it uh, the other way. Are there any moves made in the offseason, players joining teams, that you think, based on your stats that indicate victory in the NFL, has really improved the team? Well, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to tell because, the, you know, the one, the one position that really does impact football is, is quarterbacks, okay? And they, they're the ones who have the material impact on the fortunes of a team. So in the case of, in the, case of uh, the Broncos, you say, well, you know, is, is Manning going to be a better passer than Tebow? Yes, he is. Are they necessarily going to be a better team, all things being equal? Maybe not. So, to, you know, to take the quarterback situation a little bit further, you know, let's look at the teams that drafted quarterbacks. We did a real, you know, four teams drafted quarterbacks in the first round, right? Yep. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Indianapolis. Uh, Washington. Washington, <laughs> Miami, the Cleveland. Dolphins I've Cleveland, spoken to yeah. these a hundred times, and now I'm yeah. having trouble remembering them. And, uh, you know, these are teams that all needed quarterbacks, all went after quarterbacks. And what's really interesting is actually one of our readers, a guy named Jeff Hunter, did a real interesting study on the impact of first-round quarterbacks, Okay. Uh, since the AFL-NFL merger, quarterbacks drafted since the merger in 1970, Steve, have made 67 Super Bowl starts, okay? It's an odd number because we're only looking at quarterbacks drafted since the merger, okay? Uh, 36 of those starts, 53%, more than half of all Super Bowl starts since then were made by quarterbacks drafted in the first round. In other words, you need an elite quarterback to go to the Super Bowl to change your fortunes of your team. And we all like to look at guys like Tom Brady, a sixth-round pick, or or Kurt Warner, you know, who's played in five Super Bowls, or Kurt Warner, an, an undrafted free agent who, who played in three Super Bowls. Uh, but those guys are really historic anomalies. Those guys are few and far between. Those guys you can't depend on. You, you, you have to admit you're kind of lucky to uncover those guys, to have those guys fall in your lap. Super Bowl teams are built around first-round quarterbacks, by like quarterbacks with first-round talent. So if you're looking at one, you know, if you're looking at history, you've got to think either Miami or Washington or Cleveland or Indy, History tells us two or more of those teams are probably going to be in a Super Bowl real soon. And I think if I'm a fan of one of those teams, most of which, with the exception of the Colts, have had real bad quarterback play in recent years, if I'm a fan of one of those teams, those are the, those, I'm really excited. Those are, those are the acquisitions that, that have me excited, that have me thinking Super Bowl. Now, we all know there's been, you know, you can look at all the bars that Jamarcus Russell was number one overall, or Tim Couch, or David Carr. Uh, but reality, and I was surprised by this because I always looked at the bust. You know, you always these these guys who failed to come through a memorable. But in reality, Super Bowl teams are led there by first round draft quick, draft pick quarterbacks. Not only this, Steve. This is real interesting. Just uh, you know, for Andrew Luck fans, for Colts fans who want to transition almost seamlessly from from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck, of those 67 Super Bowl starts we talked about, 
19 of them, that's 28%, 19 Super Bowl starts since the merger, 28% of those Super Bowl starts were made by quarterbacks drafted number one overall. That's an amazing success rate, if you ask me. That is unbelievable. So 28% of the starters since the merger were first overall picks. Number one overall. Is that, is that, that's mind, it's almost mind-boggling. It's almost, it's almost hard to fathom, given all the, you know, all the different quarterbacks that have played. And, and, but, you know, they really have You know, John Elway played in five Super Bowls. Terry Bradshaw played in four. Uh, you know, you can go right down the line. And there's, there's been really, the NFL, you know, the NFL experts, the draft experts, really have, they do their homework, extra homework on quarterbacks, you think. And you have to believe that they, they have uh, they have hit. You know, Eli Manning's was a number one overall pick. Peyton Manning, number right. one overall pick. These these are guys who have started a lot of Super Bowls. So now that the off season is, well, the the looking back off season is sort of over. Now that we're into the off season, where we're kind of looking ahead, where we're talking about training camp and then preseason games, and and then finally the start of the season. What kind of things? interest you during training camps and preseason games what things will you have your eye on to see how it might affect the stats that eventually predict games on coldheartfootballfacts.com well you know the, the one problem is is that we we know historically that that preseason football you know doesn't really impact the final product teams are trying out things and 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 you know testing new players and not really running you know uh, game plans and and things like that. So it's not it's not a good judge. I think yeah, I think most football fans know it's not a good way to judge the final product of a team. So you know we're we're just looking at you know what 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 players might put up some big numbers and maybe make a name for themselves and maybe make a roster unexpectedly. I don't know who those are going to be at this early stage. Obviously, we need to get into camp and, and into preseason football. But for us, it's really uh, there's not a lot to take away from it. So we're just gonna we're just gonna look at some individuals and see who jumps out and see who's looking good and then. You know, hopefully there's no major injuries. You know, you know, every year it seems there's some major injury to a to a key player that 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 right out of the you know right off the top impacts the season. So uh, you know, statistically not much, and it's just a time to to get a feel for for who might be the talented young upstarts in, in football. You mentioned that uh, you had been working on potentially some new stats. Uh, is there anything you can share on us? Share with us something uh, new that you're looking to debut on the site this year? Yeah, I mean, you know, nothing. I think we have some pretty earth-shattering indicators already. Uh, some of the ones we're, we're kind of tweaking, uh, you know, what we call the mother of all stats is, is passer rating differential. That's your offensive passer rating minus your defensive passer rating. And it yields passer rating differential, and it's such a killer stat. I can't get into all the reasons it's killer right now, but I did make a presentation about it at NFL Films uh, about a month ago. Back in June, I went down and did a presentation to the pro football researchers about passer rating differential and why it's so important and why it is what we call the mother of all stats. Now, with that said, I told you a little while ago how even quarterback rating is actually better than passer rating. So one of the new stats we're introducing this year is is real quarterback rating differential. We're going to take your real quarterback rating and subtract your defensive real quarterback rating. And if it, if, it, if it correlates the way the individual indicators do, the way real quarterback rating and defensive real quarterback rating do, this, this quarterback rating differential could trump and easily trump passer rating differential. And, and just as, a, as an example of how, of how key it is, something like 53%, I don't know the exact number, of all NFL champions since 1940 were number one or number two in passer rating differential. Uh, and I went, you can see the whole presentation I did at NFL Films on, on Cold Hard. Uh, but it, I expect that we're going to find that the greatest teams in history were all 
all top five teams and real quarterback rating. I think it's going to be a pretty, uh, pretty earth-shattering indicator. We're just doing some tweaks to it. Uh, it involves a bit of, I don't want to say manipulation, but you have to, you know, you have to add in sacks and fumbles and into a whole kind of, uh, you know, spreadsheet and, and then crunch the numbers. So there's a little bit of, you know, work behind it, but it's mostly mathematics. It's not really rocket science. It's just kind of making sure it all works seamlessly. Sportscasters and Football Nation are here with Kerry J. Byrne from ColdHeartFootballFacts.com. You can follow him on Twitter, uh, at FootballFacts. You know, since we have, this is the 14th podcast here at Football Nation, and I think a lot of our fans uh, that were fans of the sportscasters proper, as we call it now, that have come over are still learning about football in, in, in the sense of analyzing it via stats. And there's some other sites out there. There's the... Um, I think it's called Football Outsiders with Aaron Schatz and sort of yep. some some other things like that. Why is Cold Hard Football Facts the one that our listeners who are new to using these stats to uh, qualify football games, why is this the place to be? Well, number one, like I said earlier, we are tracking the correlation to victory. We're not throwing out stats because they're cool. We're not trying to impress you with uh, statistical mumbo-jumbo. It's plain English, taking numbers and telling the storyline with the numbers and finding the numbers that win and lose football games and quantifying that for the users. So when we say this is an important stat, we prove to you why it's an important stat. We don't just tell you about it. Uh, and they're all very user-friendly. Some of the other sites out there, uh, you almost need a physics degree to figure out what they're talking about. All our stats are very, uh, very easy to understand, but very effective. They're all based on points and yards. That you, you know, if, you're, if you're running a stat that's not based on points or yards, it's useless. I mean, that's what football is based on. It's based on territorial acquisition. And, you know, and, 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 and gaining yardage and putting the ball in the end zone. So anything that's looking at something other than those indicators, putting points on the board and, and gaining yardage, uh, is really kind of disjointed from what football is all about. I don't think it helps the football fan at all. So, you know, that, that, those, are, those are a couple of big reasons. And then the other thing uh, to, trump, to trump our own horn is we have the best football writing on the web, bar none, period. It's entertaining. It's fun. It's easy to follow. Uh, we have a good time. We tell jokes. We do a lot of tailgating, and, you know, the pro football writers year after year have named us, you know, voted us, you know, the best feature stories on the web, uh, you know, best game analysis on the web, you know, beating out all the big publications. Cold Heart Football Facts beats out the big publications year after year for the best football writing on the web, and that's an independent authority telling us that. That's not me telling you that. Uh, the pro football writers year after year, I think one year, we got three individual awards for, you know, best football writing on the web, and the only other publication with that many was USA Today with, like, you know, a much bigger staff. And so, if really, if you're looking for the best quality analysis, the, the most important stats, the most relevant stats, and the best writing, nobody, period, in football does it better than we do. Let's do one last thing. You know, a lot of our listeners are big fantasy football players, and if you're a big fantasy football player... Running backs. That's what you want to talk about, running backs. And I wonder, there's a lot of teams who have some running backs that either are coming back from big injuries or might miss the beginning of the season for injuries. I mean, we got Adrian Peterson in Minnesota. He may or may not be ready for week one. We have uh, Mendenhall in Pittsburgh, who seemingly definitely is destined for the PUP list. We have uh, Jamal Charles, who's coming back from a season-ending injury. Javid Best, who missed most of last year with concussions. How will these teams be affected if their running backs don't come back? Because it sounds to me like cold hard football facts will lead to, lead you to believe that as long as your quarterback is still upright and playing at a top level, you can win 
without a top running back not being there. Is that am I getting the right sense? Yeah, with that? well, let me let me look at this two ways. First and foremost, the one player we're looking at to coming back is Jamal Charles. I mean, he is historically explosive, among the best of all time. In 2010, he averaged 6.38 yards per attempt. We just ran the list. Best rushing seasons in NFL history based upon yards per attempt. Okay, Jamal Charles in 2010. The number six season in the history of football, wow. average per attempt. He also has the number 18 season in the history of football in 2009. So back-to-back, 2009-2010, he put, out, he put together two of the most explosive rushing seasons in the history of football. Uh, the only other guys you would put on that list are Jim Brown and then an old-timer named Dan Towler, who played for the uh, great Rams offenses of the 1950s. So we're talking historic unprecedented productivity, uh, nearly unprecedented productivity on Jamal Charles. Really, it's unfortunate that he got injured, got injured so early in the season last year. Uh, so that's a, that's a player we're really looking at uh, on the heels of those two great seasons. But with that said, uh, you're right, Steve. I mean, we in fantasy football, in, uh, you know, our, our partners at FFChamps.com, Bill Enright, those guys, those guys know their fantasy football inside out. But fantasy football is based upon accumulating stats, okay, accumulating yardage points. Winning, in, winning on the field in the NFL is all about efficiency and specific, specifically efficiency in the passing game. And, and the reality is running backs are largely overrated. The impact of these running backs is largely overrated. You can have a bad rushing team. You can have a great rushing team. It doesn't matter if you don't have a great passing team and a great pass defense. It's almost irrelevant. And I'm, I'm just looking down the best rushing seasons in NFL history, okay? Jim Brown, 1963. Maybe the greatest season of all time, averaged 6.4 yards per attempt. The 63 Browns, by the way, the greatest rushing team in the history of football, the entire team over the course of the year averaged like 5.7 yards per attempt. Went 10-4 and in a good season, but didn't even make the postseason. Uh, Jamal Charles, you know, in one of the best seasons of all time in 2009, the Chiefs went 4-12. You know, Jarius Norwood with the Falcons had one of the best seasons of all time, 6 yards per attempt in 2007. The the Falcons went 4-12. Uh, I, I can go down the list, all these great running backs who had great, you know, great seasons on bad teams. If you look at the list of greatest quarterbacks of all time, greatest passing seasons, you're going to find champions game after game, year after year. There is not a single rushing team in football, a single great rushing team that ever won a championship, or a single great running back who ever won a championship without a great passing offense and or passing defense. It's never happened, Steve. It's never happened. So the emphasis on, on great running uh, it, it, it just, it's just totally overemphasized. It really is. It's all about the passing game, and it's always been all about the passing game. Even back in the 1940s and 1950s, the great teams were the dominant passing teams. So the old cliche of uh, running the ball wins championships means nothing at cold High football fans. No, well, it doesn't mean nothing. What's important is attempting to rush the football. Okay. And so you can balance. rush poorly, you can rush well, but you have to attempt it to keep the opponent off balance. balance. And what the, what the great nexus is, and we've been trying to quantify this, the great, the great nexus of winning football is a lot of rush attempts and a high average per pass attempt. That's really, if you're running the ball a lot and passing effectively, you're going to win games. So you do have to, you do have to try to run. You, just don't, you don't even have to do it well. You just have to try it. It's enough to keep opponents off balance, help you pass in game. And, you know, the great example of this, by the way, with the 1960s Packers, everyone said they, they dominated on the ground. They didn't. They were the most dominant passing team on both sides of the ball year after year after year. Sometimes they ran well, sometimes they ran poorly, but they always ran a lot, and they always passed effectively and always played great pass defense. In fact, Vince Lombardi's Packers, and I did this in my presentation in NFL Films last month, four of their five championship years, they were number one in the NFL in passer rating differential 
And that team won by passing the football and making life miserable on opposing quarterbacks. And that, that's really what it comes down to, no matter who it is. So, yeah, at the end of the day, the running game's over, running well is overrated, but you do have to keep opponents off balance. All right. It's the Sportscasters and Football Nation. Done with the man, Kerry J. Byrne, who you can find on uh, Twitter at footballfacts.com. You can also find his website, www.coldhardfootballfacts.com. Kerry, before we let you go, anything else you want to make sure that the listeners know? No, no, I'm just glad to have you on board, Steve. If you guys haven't heard his uh, previous podcast, check him out. Uh, uh, present company excluded some of the biggest names in, in football writing, Peter King and people like that, and you can see the whole list. And uh, uh, Just keep up the great work, Steve, and I'm glad to have you on board. Thanks, Gary. All right, want to thank Kerry J. Byrne for being on the podcast today. Winding down here, episode number 14 of the Football Nation presents the Sportscasters podcast. Just a couple things to remind you of. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at sports underscore casters. And don't forget to follow Football Nation at FBallNation. Email us, the sportscasters at Gmail, anytime. If you're interested in talking to us about anything, we'd be glad to uh, respond to that. And also don't forget to check out season two, episode 26 of our other podcast, Featuring interviews with Jack McCollum, Gary Smith, and Ben Ryder. You can find that at www.sports-casters.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, any of those things. So one last piece of business for today, and that's this week on footballnation.com. What are you reading, Don? All right. Uh, there's a series of articles actually out there by Jeff Sperber. and They're not actually articles. It's a uh, it's kind of a, a large graphic. He calls it super charting. Uh, and he, or Superchart. He's done it on the AFC. He's done one on every division, and he hasn't done one on the NFC yet, but I'm sure it's coming. A lot of talking points there, uh, a lot of places to disagree, but he has what happened in the past, like the best team. It's just a graphical representation of uh, his predictions and the best players in the division. And it's really cool. Looking. The best cheerleaders in the division uh, or in the conference really cool check that out at the bottom of the article you can find a link to all the individual division ones he did and uh yeah see what he so predicts. Pick, pick something out and let's debate it real quick all right the one that stands out to me is the best current logos and this is the one i probably disagree with the most as a football purist he basically picked every expansion team's logos so he's saying the ravens jaguars and the flaming thumbtacks as someone over at espn calls them have the best logos. Uh, I'm sure Raider fan would disagree. Uh, the new Bills logos think, are kind of cool. based on logos. And if you go to NFL.com, they're all at the top, so it's really easy to look at them real quick. Yeah, and he's going by the, like, the non-third. Right, just the logo itself, like what's on the sticker on the side of the helmet, right? Yeah. I mean, the, well, Brown, the Browns are kind of plain, but that's a classic helmet. I really like the Steelers. Steelers is classic. Really cool. Jets is pretty cool. Uh, New England, eh. Yeah, the New England is like an example of Bills. Uh, I like modernized. Yeah, I like the Bills one. That's I a like homer the, pick. But I like the Bills. I like the Steelers. It's weird to me to pick three expansion teams as, and the, I like uh, the Raiders. The only, Those would be my three. And actually, of the expansion teams, I think I like Houston's the best compared to Tennessee, Jaguars, Baltimore. But what's cool about Baltimore is it's the only team. Named after a poem, I'd imagine, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my story this week, 
uh, is by a female contributor, Jesse Heller. And her article is five NFL teams that will fall short in 2012. Who do you think are some of the teams on this list, Don? I'm going to, because of my uh, loser attitude, I'm going to say the Bills are on there. No. Oh, good. I'm looking now, though. Okay. I cheated. (laughs) Uh, She's got the Lions, Falcons, Broncos, Giants, and Bengals. And it's interesting how many people expect the Broncos to not perform this year. Seems to me like they're still in a bad division. They hugely upgraded the quarterback position. I really like Demarius Thomas and what he might be able to do. Sure, for Manning. And they got a – what's his name there? Eric Decker? Kind of reminds me of what Manning had. She says that Peyton Manning won't be 100%. He won't be 80%. He won't be good enough to make up for a team with no offensive line, an anemic running game, and no number two receiver. That, that'll that be interesting, I guess, more than anything about Peyton, but everybody knows that. He's always played in behind great offensive lines, so that, that'll be interesting to see how we adjust. I don't have huge expectations for the Bengals. I know they're a playoff team last year, but I still think they're a team that's they're young. kind of building. Yeah. If they didn't make the playoffs this year, I wouldn't call it a disappointment. But if they went four and twelve, I might. So Matthew Stafford, her comment on Matthew Stafford is interesting. It says quarterback Matthew Stafford had a solid season last year. Matthew Stafford had one of the greatest statistical seasons of all time last year, really quietly because a little bit better than solid when you pass for over five thousand. He had five thousand yards and forty TDs. He's like one of only like three people ever to do that. They have no running game. Hmm. I don't know. A still part of me still believes in best. I mean, Bess was good before concussions last year. And they have also have Mikel Ashore there. I, it, it's an interesting article in that to talk about teams that are going to fall short, it means you think a team that people think are going to be – well, these are all playoff teams last year? Is that what they're saying? Well, part of it is eval- evaluating what you think a team's expectations are, right? Did I completely forget the Atlanta Falcons were in the playoffs last year? Is that Yeah, they, they played one game and lost to the Giants. Okay. That's right. I, I totally forgot that. Yeah, so uh, – I don't know. I'm glad the Saints aren't in there. It would be hard. I mean, when writing the article, she must have realized that chances are five playoff teams aren't going to fall out this year, right? Well, she says that that's statistically the average. Oh, really? Yep. It says in the beginning, each year on average, five, five teams. Five in, five make, out. Yeah. All right, good for her doing the homework. I I would not have thought that. I wonder I wonder who I are, think. Giants fans won't like that pick. I, I guess the Bengals are probably a, good, a really good pick because I could easily see them falling out. But That's a tough division, too. Right. Um, Steelers, hmm, Steelers should be back in. Yeah, uh, maybe she's right. I, I, I don't know. I guess I bet some people would put the Saints on there. I think there's a lot of people expecting that think because of what the, happened. Right. Could, so, I mean, I wouldn't have killed her if she would have put them on. I would, I would have understood her, her logic. It's interesting. It's a good... Well done. Yeah. I like articles that give you something to talk about, and that one did. All right. Thanks again to Carrie. We'll be back next week. Spend my days with a woman I 